You're listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast, where our focus is helping people to connect to God, change, and thrive in life. Good evening, everyone. Can you guys hear me okay? All right, so we're going to get started. This is the uh, class, the quick overview of the Bible. There are two other classes, Steps, Next Steps that's going on in other classrooms. So if you were planning on being over there, you're in the wrong room. Um, don't get too comfortable with your seats because we do have a couple of group activities that we need you to move around and, or move to people who can't move around. Uh, and uh, we'll start off with a word of prayer. Amen. Dear God, uh, thank you so much for this time. Thank you that uh, we can meet together as a church in our different classes and uh, focus this summer on just learning about your word, learning to teach others, uh, learning to personally uh, grow in our knowledge of your scriptures and of you. Uh, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be with us and to direct us and to, uh, to be able to just get the most out of all of the classes this summer. Uh, thank you so much for uh, all the blessings that you provide through the church and through uh, your word. Uh, through your Holy Spirit, and we're grateful just to be together as your body this evening. Praying in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So, um, as it says here, there is a book that is used as all of our material during this class. It's called the, A Quick Overview of the Bible. Uh, the author is Douglas Jacoby. You don't have to have the book for the class, but if you do, you will definitely get a whole lot more because, of course, we can't cover it in the four weeks that we have. So we're going to cover the quick, quick overview of the Bible. Uh, and, of course, you know, as you, look, as you think about the Bible, there is quite a bit to uh, study and learn uh, to get the most out of it. And that's one of the focuses of our class today. Uh, the author, Douglas Jacoby, is uh, one of the teachers, appointed teachers, that goes around uh, to our... Uh, fellowship of churches around the world teaching. He's got several books that he's written. Uh, he is also a professor. Uh, he's quite a, got quite a bit of credentials to be able to write on this topic. Uh, I was fortunate to be able to take a class that he had uh, uh, that was called the Ministry Training Cl- Program, which was like uh, a class of like eight sessions of close to 16 hours one of the topics of the class, which is one-fourth of the class, was the overview of the Bible, uh, where it was actually called the Old Testament and New Testament Survey. Uh, that was 20 years ago, uh, and since then he's written this book that has some of the material that he taught on that class. So that's where a little background of the author. But uh, this class is taught by uh, myself, Sarah, Dave, and Diane. They are not here today, except for me. Uh, Lisa Ford is graduating, so Dave and Diane are there. Uh, our niece is graduating as well, Davina, and Sarah's at the graduation there. So I'm sure there are other folks at people's graduations as well. Uh, Rachel G is graduating tonight too. Okay. All right. So what we will be doing, of course, we've got material that we're going to teach uh, and present, but we also have... Uh, couple of discussions, different ways of discussing uh, some topics. One group activity that we'll be doing today, uh, we've got quite a bit of material to present. 
um, and some videos as well that we'll be looking at. So it's not all just sitting where you're at. Actually, in a few minutes, you guys will get into groups of six. Um, and so I'll explain that in a minute. So uh, as you get comfortable there, just, just hold on to your stuff. You will be moving. All right. So here's how the book is broken up. And this is also kind of how our class is broken up. Um, there are three chapters of getting started. And so it's some introduction of, of the book and an overview uh, just to get started. And then it's the First Testament, which is the Old Testament, um, which we will cover today, the second half of today. And uh, we'll also be covering it next week. And uh, the Second Testament we'll be looking through in week three and four. Okay, and That's, of course, the New Testament. We'll probably also do some of the First Testament in week three. Um, as you know, the Old Testament is about 60% or more than 60% of the Bible. So it'll take us some time to get that all covered. All right. Any questions from anyone? For those of you who joined, this is the overview of the Bible. There are two other classes, first steps, next steps in the different part of the campus here. So make sure you're in the right class. So today, here's what we're going to be looking at. Uh, just be able to get a broad or a big picture of what the Bible is all about. Uh, we'll just look at how the story is presented, you know, and the author calls it uh, the And then we'll get uh, a look into tongues, translations, and transmission, just how the Bible got to us, you know, in the physical form that we have it. Okay. All right. All right, so more cahoots, more prizes next week. Make sure you show up ready. Uh, next week's quiz will be based on some of today's material, though. So, all right. Uh, one, of the, one of the key stories of the Bible is God's plan to be able to get his word, his message, and to have a relationship with all nations. And so, as you saw from this group itself, that is being done in an, in an amazing way. Uh, just, you know, it's, it's to God's glory uh, that you can witness that right before your very eyes here. Okay. So, uh, in Psalm 119, verse 72, the Bible says, The law from your mouth is more precious to me than a thousand pieces of silver and gold. And as we think about the Bible... Uh, just think through it and take a moment just to think, how much do you desire to read the Bible every day? You know, an honest assessment in your heart, just for yourself to think, you know, how much do you desire to read the Bible? After you think about that, think about how much time should you spend? You know, what do you think God would like from you? How much time should you spend studying the Bible? And uh, as you think about these things, has anyone ever read the Bible in a period of one year? Like started at some point and finished in 365 days. We've got a few people who read the Bible in one year. How about a couple years? We took, you know, two years and you finished up the Bible. You know, um, it's uh, as we look through some of the uh, overview that we will be looking at, these are some of the goals to be able to develop an incredible desire to want to read the Bible, to have the confidence and also the discipline to read through the Bible 
whether it's one year, two years, or three years, but to have a plan because the power that the Bible holds is immense and its depth and insight can only be uncovered by devoted study. And so we'll see, you know, what from from how the Bible is structured, what is the best way to study the Bible and how do we get the most out of it? And so no matter what stage you are in your life, where you came from, what part of the world that you live in, the Bible has a message and it gives you hope, peace. It brings you change in your life, builds faith and gives you strength. And so... Um, this is a few things that it's trying, we're trying to answer through our class and what the book attempts to, um, to be able to get insight into the Bible. You can think about needing an overview in three different ways. It's sort of like a puzzle. You know, in order to solve the puzzle, you need the cover. You know, you need to see how the whole puzzle is supposed to be like when you're done, right? And so, uh, in some aspects, the Bible is puzzling, but once you do get an overview, it kind of gives you like the entire picture and it's able, you know, you're able to be able to figure out and, and get deeper insight from what you read. You can also think about the need for an overview like needing a guidebook. You know, um, if you travel somewhere, you need a guidebook to understand uh, a little bit about that place before you get there. And so needing an overview is like, you know, as we think about the Bible, we're really, as we get into the Bible, we're traveling into an ancient world. And uh, there are questions that you may have as you read the Bible. For example, it talks about the Babylonians. You need to know who are the Babylonians. You know, it has different measurements of unit of measurements like cubits. Um, Things like what is a psalm? Who are the apostles? Uh, you have to get oriented with a few of the terms, a few of the uh, uh, cultures, languages, to be able to get a guide into what the Bible is all about, to get uh, get an insight into it. And it's also, you can look at it like a map. Um, when you go to a city and get move into a city, uh, and the bigger the city is, the more complicated. But as you get familiar with some of the roads, some of the neighborhoods, where the grocery stores are, and you begin to be able to navigate through that city a whole lot easier. Same thing with the Bible. You know, we need to be able to learn how it was constructed to navigate through scriptures and get the most out of it. Um, I remember in, uh, in 1989, I went to a world conference of all our churches. And uh, the speaker, and I took my dad with me, and he wasn't part of our church, but he wanted to kind of get an understanding of what the church was about and the speaker there, after you know, the first intro, in, in introduction songs and some intros, he got up to speak. He read a scripture that says, you know, greet everyone with a holy kiss. And it's in the Bible. And he said, so everybody get up and give somebody sitting close by you a big kiss. And so that's what everybody did. And so that was 89 years ago. I mean, 1989, that was what, uh, about 30 years ago. To this day, every time my dad visits, he kisses somebody in the church. So he came here last time and he gave Dave Cortez a big kiss. I had to warn him, he is a officer of the law, so be careful who you're kissing. Uh, but when you think about scriptures like that, when it was instructed to greet one another with a holy kiss, uh, in the culture of that time, 
it was already known that men would kiss men and women would kiss women. It wasn't that men would kiss women. That's something that they knew as a culture and it didn't have to be written. Uh, but that's something that we may not know reading uh, it in our time or the culture that you come from. You know? And so uh, there are things that you do need to know to be able to understand the Bible in depth and to be able to get the full meaning out of the scriptures that we look at. Um, I do have a video that I would like to show, and then I will talk about it a little bit after. Who cares? Or bother? That pretty much sums up my life. When you're not the smartest, not the prettiest, not anything, they taught me about evolution, how the strong survive, the weak are destroyed. So I guess there's no hope for me. Might as well party. Nothing matters anyhow. I did. Pills, alcohol, whatever. But then I had this one friend, Sarah. She said that I was created, not evolved. And she said that the God who made me knows me. He even has a plan for my life, even if I'm not the greatest at anything. I like to get to know a God like that. Sometimes... I get lonely. My wife's gone. Most of my friends are too. Some days I just want to give up and join them. My son tells me I'm not alone. Even when he's not here, he says God is always with me. He even says, God has a purpose for me. Is it really possible I still have some value? The hurricane just blew away our house. Blew away everything. I can't even find my dog. Why does this happen? My father says it's God's anger at the sin of the world. My mother says that God has a reason for everything. In all of this, she still believes God loves us, even though everything is gone. She tells me it will be okay. Bitter, empty, and so alone. But deep inside, 
I know God is here watching over us. His word says he works all things together for good for his purpose. I didn't want my husband to die. But I can go on. Because I trust in the one who made the universe and made me. In Psalm 119, the Bible says, By your words, I can see where I'm going. They throw a beam of light on my path. I've committed myself and I will never turn back from, your, from living by your righteous order. Everything's falling apart from me. God, put me together again with your word. Um, that's the message translation. But, you know, you may have some questions about God, about different situations in your life. People around you have questions. Uh, they have questions out of hurt, frustration, defeat, pain. And, you know, the Bible does have answers. And it's important for us to be able to put that effort to study his word so that we can be competent, confident, and credible. And as we, you know, look through, that's one of our goals of the class is to help, you know, bring that competency, give that credibility to you being able to look at scriptures and to know that as you read them, you know what was intended, the, answer, the question that was intended to answer and the solution that God has for our lives. And so um, there, there is a challenge in our world that, you know, with just how busy we are, uh, do we have time to devote to the Bible? And uh, one of the things that... Uh, uh, when I was in the campus ministry that I was taught is to treat studying the Bible like one of my classes. So if I had four classes, the amount of time that I would spend in one class, that's how much time I should spend that week in studying the Bible as well. You know, and so just having the priority to study the Bible. But uh, in Joshua 1 verse 8, it says, keep this book of law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Okay, so a few facts of the Bible. Um, you know, 60% of Americans watch football games. You know, sometimes there are people who watch about 16 games a year, and some people watch, you know, a whole lot more than that, NFL and college. Um, the time it takes to for you to... Watch an average NFL game. You can read the entire book of Matthew, Mark, and John. Because okay? it takes about an hour, 14 minutes to read Matthew, about 46 minutes to read Mark. Um, you know, John takes about an hour and three minutes. So if you read the Bible for half hour every weekday, okay, and then not counting weekends, if you just read the Bible half hour every weekday, you'll finish the Bible in two years. You know, and so if you make that your goal, hey, it's half an hour in the Word, if I miss some time on Wednesday, I can catch up in the weekend because this doesn't count, you know, the weekends are bonus. Um, but just to think through, you know, having a plan of studying the Bible and, and devoting time, thinking about how much time you want to spend uh, in the Bible. In Revelations in chapter 7, it says, After this I looked, there before me was a great multitude that no one can count 
from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Um, Revelation 7 9 talks about just a people that loved the truth and sought it. And, you know, how through that, you know, they got to know God and was able to be with God. Um, as we think about the Bible, it's actually written in four dimensions. Okay, so can someone explain what one dimensional is? One dimensional. Can't put anybody. What's one? Di- uh, Sheldon. I think one, one dimensional is uh, like two spheres. Because then you have like two, three, or four spheres. Okay. Can't have. Yeah. So if you just think about this line right there, you can only go from here to here. That's just one dimension, right? Two dimensions. Anybody? Two dimensions? It's basically like this piece of paper. You can go from here to here, but you can also go up. You know, so that's two dimensions. Since, of course, is like a cube, uh, and you can go a whole lot more. Uh, but four dimensions is something else. It's, so if you think about space as three dimension, time would be the fourth dimension. Uh, but the Bible is a story that's written and takes place in space and time. And the story is about God entering the world in person as Jesus Christ. Uh, Christ is not just the central figure of the Bible. He's the central figure of all history. Because John fourteen six, the Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's central to everything. And so as you think about the Bible, Christ is central to the Bible. His message is in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So um, our hope is as we look into the different dimensions, we begin to understand the culture, the language, the geography, and the writing style that takes place in the Bible. And so there's a chapter in this book, titled Tongues, Translation, and Transmission. A few scriptures just thinking about where the Bible came from. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed. In John 6, verse 63, it says, The word which I have spoken to you are spirit and life. 1 Peter 1.21 says, Men spoke from God while being born by the Holy Spirit. And so, as we looked at and saw in that quiz, the Bible is written in what languages? Anyone? Hebrew, Arabic, and Greek. Okay. Um, what language did Jesus speak? Anyone know? Aramic, yeah, or however you pronounce that. He didn't speak Greek, uh, but he lived in the Roman Empire and the central language of that time was Greek. Um, And the New Testament was written in Greek. So Hebrew was the original language of Israel. So uh, Abraham actually started in a land of the Babylonians, but God called him out of and went to a place where, um, you know, they formed this language, uh, the Hebrew language, uh, actually, uh, Aramic actually. And so, most of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And there were small parts written in Aramic. All of the New Testament is written in Greek. And so, 
is basically written uh, in the language of the people of that time. Okay? The Old Testament, the Jewish people, and the New Testament, uh, which spread throughout the Roman Empire, and the language they spoke throughout all of the countries of the Roman Empire was Greek. It was the universal language. Um, Abraham actually, um, you know, the, the, the map there shows the geography of the different places where uh, people in the Old Testament lived and where it was written. So parts of the Bible were written in different countries, uh, and of course, by, you know, 40 different authors. But um, when they fell into captivity, the land where they were taken captive, that's the land where they spoke Aramic, and that's how the Jewish, Jewish people began to speak Aramic still to this day. Uh, that language not only uh, is where the uh, current language of Israel is, but also Arabic comes from that language. Um, the Bible... is, you know, none of the actual original manuscripts that the Bible was written in um, exist today. And that's only because they were used so many times that it wore out. But there are copies of the original manuscripts. Uh, and there's, there's a little bit about that. For, for example, there, were, there are 25,000 handwritten copies uh, of the New Testament. Okay. Uh, and so with those 25,000, Scholars worked backwards to translate it to the language that we have it in English or whatever language that it's in today. Uh, the Bible was written, the Old Testament was written in a period of about a thousand years. That is uh, 1500 BC to about 5 BC is the, so, you know, from a thousand to 1600, different scholars have different uh, thoughts on how many years it took it. But as I mentioned, there are about 40 people that are authors of the Bible. And the message of the Bible is presented, the message that the Bible has is presented multiple times in various ways. That means that we see the same message repeated by different authors throughout different, from different countries through different times and time periods uh, to verify that the, you know, as you look through it, you'll see consistency of the message throughout the Bible. And so the 66 books of the Bible were not all written and put at one time. So you have books of the Bible that were written, uh, you know, um, 2,500 years ago to books of the Bible written about 2,000 years ago. So how did it all get together, get put into one book? That process is called canonization, which the Old Testament was put together by scholars around, you know, right after the time of Jesus, actually. And that's the same Jewish uh, Bible, and we'll look into a little bit about that. Uh, Jesus referred to uh, scriptures from all parts of the Old Testament. Um, but the New Testament was written around 48 A.D., to 95, and there's a different canonization process that was put together, but it is put together by scholars that had a knowledge of the language, culture, um, and from various different backgrounds. And so today you have 
a translation of the Bible. The English, there are like 12 major English translations. And so the scholars that translated these uh, current languages were well-versed in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And there are actually over 120 different English translations of the Bible, 12 major ones. Uh, But the translations are not from other translations, but scholars work with the oldest manuscripts, translating it from the original language that we have. So we're going to look into the Old Testament and get into... um, just an introduction of what the Old Testament is. So, something about the Old Testament that's very different about the New Testament. The New Testament was written all during the Roman Empire, but uh, there were different kingdoms, uh, you know, different periods, different countries. Uh, that the Old Testament was written in. It is a single narrative. The entire Bible can be considered as a single narrative, but not a single genre. So in the Old Testament, you have poetry, you have history, you have prophecy. um, And so the writing style of the Old Testament is uh, varies from book to book. And within each book as well, there, there are poems, songs, hymns included in uh, in in the uh, in the different chapters and different books of the Bible. So as you read through it, you do have to understand what genre am I reading to be able to get the most out of it. You know, so if it's history, it's very clear uh, that you may need to know a little background uh, when it's talking about specific history. Uh, it was intended, you know, for the people of that culture uh, as it was written. But as we understand the culture, the times and places, we're able to understand uh, what it is because the message is consistent for all time periods. Um, The Bible does contain references to various different cultures, different concepts, terms, stories. And, uh, you know, it references writings, other writings of that period, songs of that period, uh, other things that happened in history. You know, and so if if we talk about a famous song or an artist today, we would know what, you know, uh, what we're talking about if we just use like part of that song. Uh, but so there, there is some of that in the Bible that we need to uncover to be able to get through it. Now, when the Bible was written, the authors of the Bible didn't break it up into chapters and didn't break it up into verses. So the chapters and the verses that you see in the Bible, those aren't original that were put later on. And so as we think through the Bible and how to read it, um, as you understand that it is 66 different books, the most efficient way to read the Bible is not by reading a verse or picking a chapter, but to actually read through an entire book. You know, and so... Uh, you know, if you read through the book of Isaiah in its entirety, you would get more from it than just picking a few chapters here and there. Uh, and so that's something that you have to think about as you read through the Bible. Um, there's a video that we're going to watch from put together by uh, the Bible Project that gives us an overview of the Old Testament, goes into 
breaking it up into different sections, which it can be broken up to. Uh, so, you know, uh, along with reading a entire book of the Bible, it's also good to read it in the sections that it was kind of designed in. And that's what we kind of kind of get through. Uh, and it's also going to explain a little bit about the different places and cultures uh, and time periods that the different books of the Bible was written in. If you open a Protestant Christian Bible and look at the table of contents, you'll notice the first three quarters is a collection called the Old Testament. If you look at the list of books, you'll see it's made up of 39 smaller works that are grouped into four main sections. The first five are called the Pentateuch, followed by the historical books, then the poetic books, and finally the books of the prophets. Now that seems simple enough, but actually it's more complicated and way more interesting. This arrangement of the books in a single volume called the Old Testament is a later Christian tradition that developed after Jesus and the Apostles. In ancient Jewish tradition, these works were all on separate scrolls and were conceived of unified three-part collections called Tanakh. It's a Hebrew acronym for Torah, which means instruction, Nevi'im, which means prophet, and Ketuvim, which means writing. The Tanakh has the same books as the Protestant Old Testament, but they're arranged differently. The Torah corresponds to the Pentateuch, but the prophets consist of four historical narrative books and then the 15 works named after specific prophets. After this comes the writings, a diverse collection of poetic and narrative texts. Now this three-part design is really, really old. It's referred to in ancient Jewish texts like the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Wisdom of Pansira, even Jesus of Nazareth mentioned it. And that's because this three-part shape is woven into the compositional design of the scrolls themselves. If you pay attention, you'll discover that every scroll has been coordinated by means of cross-references that link each work into the larger three-part collection. So, who put all these scrolls together? It was a long process. Some of the famous contributors are named, like Moses or David, but most of the authors remain anonymous. In the Bible, they're simply called scribes or the prophets. These scrolls took shape throughout Israel's history as generations of prophetic scribes collected earlier stories and poems, integrated them into larger compositions, and then eventually shaped all this material into the unified library of scrolls that's not. It's clear from texts in the Psalms and Prophets that these prophetic scribes believed that God's Spirit was guiding this whole process, so that through these human words, God speaks to his people. That's why they treasured these texts, studying and composing them into a unified collection. We don't know when precisely this process was finished, but it was somewhere in the last century before the time of Jesus. In its final shape, the Tanakh offers a prophetic interpretation of Israel's history that claims to reveal God's purposes to rescue the whole world. And while we can't do justice to the whole collection in one video, it's helpful to get an overview of what these scrolls are all about. The Torah begins with God creating and blessing a great piece of real estate, our very good world. And God entrusts it to a creature that reflects the divine image. Human, or in Hebrew, Adam. God appoints humanity to rule the world as kings and queens of creation. And the question is whether they will trust God's wisdom to discern good and evil, or seize the autonomy and to find good and evil for themselves. But there's another creature with the humans, a mysterious snake. It's in rebellion against the creator, and it dupes the humans to foolishly rebel against God's generosity. As a result, humanity is separated from its divine source of life 
and exiled from a garden of blessing to die in a dangerous wilderness. From there, humanity keeps spreading and redefining good and evil, and things go downhill fast. They build cities plagued by violence and oppression, all leading to the foundation of a city called Babylon, where people exalt themselves to the place of God. And now the basic thought conflict of the whole Bible is set. God wants to bless his world and rule it through humans. But now, humans are the problem. They're under the influence of people. They're stupid and short-sighted and headed for self-destruction. And this is all a setup for God's solution. We need a new kind of human. And so God promises that a new human will come who won't give in to the snake. In fact, he'll crush it and be crushed by it. From here, the story traces the promised lineage to a man and woman, Abraham and Sarah. God entrusts them with the same divine blessing given to humanity on page one. And so they leave Babylon to a new garden-like land that God promises to give his family. What follows is the story of Abraham's family. Three generations, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, followed by twelve sons. And our hopes are high until we read their very dysfunctional and destructive family story. They lie, cheat, nearly kill each other, not to mention the sex scandals. But what did you expect after the garden story? They're humans. Eventually, Abraham's family ends up exiled down in Egypt. All these failures of Abraham's family form a dark background for the handful of bright moments in the story. God stays committed to these people. He even makes them an eternal promise called a covenant that he will rescue and bless all humanity through them. How exactly? Isn't clear. But Abraham's family is at its best when they stop their selfish scheming and trust God's promise with radical faith. From here, the family grows. They end up enslaved in Egypt, and we're introduced to the Torah's other main character, Moses. God raises him up to rescue the Israelites and bring them to a mountain where they're all invited into a covenant relationship with God. They're given 613 terms of the relationship, guidelines for becoming new kinds of humans who will faithfully represent God to the world. And Moses brokers this whole deal because he's awesome. He's the ultimate prophet who speaks God's word to Israel. He's a priest who represents them before God. And he's even called a king, Israel's leader and deliverer in time of need. But as the Torah progresses, the Israelites fail big time. They violate the covenant, and even Moses rebels against God. In fact, the Torah ends with Moses predicting that Israel's failures will continue as they go back into the promised land, and they're going to end up in exile once again. But he has hopes that God will fulfill his promise to rescue Israel. One day he will cover for their failures, he'll heal their selfish hearts so they can truly love God and live. And then Moses dies. Now, the final sentences of the chorus roll are surprising. They zoom forward in time. And we hear from the prophetic scribes who shake the Tanakh. They reflect back on the story of Moses from their vantage point. And they tell us that never again in Israel's history did a prophet like Moses arise. Man, I wish another prophet, priest, king like him would come along. And with that, we move into the Nebuchadnezzar. It has two sub-questions. First, the former prophets, four narrative works about Israel's story in the promised land, told from the later perspective of the prophet. Things start great with Joshua's leadership. We're told he's successful because he's just like Moses. And he meditates on scripture day and night. But eventually, even Joshua fails, beginning Israel's long and violent descent into self-destruction, just like Moses and the garden story anticipated. These stories mostly focus on the failure of Israel's kings, prophets, and priests. 
how they lie, cheat, and kill each other, and worship idols. It's basically a longer, bloodier replay of the ancestors' failure. But there are some bright spots. God reaffirms his covenant promise to bless humanity through a new human. It will be a king from the line of David. And you get some stories about people like David or Solomon who have moments like Abraham when they trust God, but it never lasts. And wouldn't you know it, the family of Abraham ends up right where they began, conquered and exiled in Babylon. But remember, this whole story is being told from the later perspective of the prophet, and they know exile isn't the end. So they design these stories of Israel's past as pointers to their future hope. When God does rescue his people out of Babylon, he'll send that new king who will be like Moses and David and Solomon were on their good day. In fact, this is what the second part of the Nebuchadnezzar, the latter prophets, is all about. There are three large and twelve short works connected to specific prophets. And this design intentionally recalls the three plus twelve ancestors from Genesis whose stories of failure contain the seeds of future hope. These prophetic scrolls are loaded with cross-references that link back into the narrative of the Torah and the prophets, and they carry the story further. The job of Israel's prophets was to be like Moses, to accuse the old Israel of failure and corruption, and to warn them about the looming result, the great day of the Lord, which ended with defeat and exile in Babylon. But the prophets also promised that God had a purpose, to purify his people and recreate a new Israel who would be faithful like Abraham was. They'll live in a new covenant relationship with God under the reign of that promised ruler, who's described as a new Moses, but called by the name David. He will be the one to restore God's blessing to the entire world. The conclusion of the Nebuchadnezzar is just like the Torah. There's a note from the Tanakh's prophetic scribes. They reflect back over the whole story so far, and they urge readers to anticipate the arrival of a new Moses-like prophet, who they call Elijah. He will announce the arrival of Israel's God to purify and save his people. So I'm going to stop it right there. But uh, just to summarize, we're going to skip the activity and do this next week. Um, the Bible has a consistent message where, as it says in Malachi 3, you know, I, the Lord, do not change. Uh, the scriptures speak consistently, consistent, the consistency of one God and the nature and character of God are the same. So, as we look through the Old Testament, one of the things that you will see uh, is that it's not written in chronological order. You know, as a matter of fact, um, if you turn right to the middle of the, uh, the book of Isaiah, is actually happening at the end of that Old Testament period, but it's stuck sort of right there in the middle of the Bible. Uh, so, there is reasons why it's put together, but you also, as you saw from the video, that the Bible that we have today, that the way that it's organized and arranged uh, is not the same way that it was arranged and organized uh, during Jesus' time. Even though all of the same books are there, the 39 books that are in the Old Testament uh, were the same as you referred to here uh, in what they call the Tanakh, uh, but it's organized in a different order and uh, grouped, as he talked about, because grouped in the time periods that it was written in and the messages that it did have. Um, God's universal purpose, as we began our class 
talking about is something that is a theme throughout the Bible. A few scriptures that we can look at in uh, John 6, 63. Uh, well, let's look at 1 Timothy 2, 3. It says, our Savior, God our Savior wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of his truth. Um, the other two were actually ones that we already read. But uh, uh, there are scriptures in the Bible that consistently show us what the theme is as well as God's intention for giving us his word. And what we're going to look at throughout the next three weeks is in-depth more details about the specific cultures of the Old Testament, getting into uh, specific questions that we have that, that need to be answered. An example of a question or misconception that the Bible has or people have of the Bible is that uh, it, it seems that God shows favoritism, you know, specifically favoritism to the Jews. And so is that true? Is that the same as, you know, if you read the Bible, is that the story that you get of God? We're going to look in detail of these different questions that people generally have and then look through specific scriptures that kind of really gives God's view through each of the questions that people have because the answers are there and to be able to discuss that and think through that. And so um, the main goal, though, is to get the desire, the discipline, to be able to get into the Bible, to become competent, uh, to become confident and credible in your knowledge and handling of God's Word. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast. For more information about our church, please visit greaterlongbeachchurch.com.